Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for joining us here on episode 55. Today, we're going to feature a conversation with Andrew Leahy. Andrew is a musician who is from Richmond, Virginia, but now makes his home in Nashville, Tennessee, with some time in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're going to learn a little more about that. But uh, Andrew uh, was recently on the Rockboat Cruise, uh, a cruise that experience that I've been privileged to go on uh, for six different times now. Uh, and Andrew, this was his first time that him and his band, Andrew Leahy and the Homestead, played on the Rockboat. Andrew, while he's the lead singer and also plays guitar uh, for that band, uh, his band, Andrew Leahy and the Homestead, he also is a lead guitarist uh, for several other um, bands and artists that he plays with. And we're going to hear a little more about that, as well as a lot of the work he does in sort of music journalism. And he writes a lot about music, uses some aliases sometimes. A little tricky, this guy. But anyway... Uh, we're going to hear uh, from Andrew Leahy in just a few moments. And also, at the end of this episode, we're going to hear a song from his brand new album, which is releasing March 1st. Depending on when you are listening to this episode, it is probably already out. The album is called Airwaves, and the uh, track we're going to hear is also called Airwaves. So um, we're going to hear also from Andrew a little more about why he titled the song, and the album, Airwaves. So I just want to thank you again for listening to the Agents of Innovation podcast. We feature interviews with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists like Andrew Leahy. And also, we have a great website, agentsofinnovation.org. All the blog posts from all the episodes from all these great people are are there at agentsofinnovation.org. Also, Uh, We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can find all those links from agentsofinnovation.org or just by typing in the search bar on some of those platforms. Also, uh, we want to thank you for listening. You're probably listening on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast. And if you're listening, we hope you're subscribed because that'll give you the automatic alerts for future episodes so you can hear some of these great stories like the one we're going to hear momentarily from Andrew Leahy. So thank you so much for listening to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Let me tell you, this one's going to rock. I would like to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, Andrew Leahy, uh, who's a musician based in Nashville, Tennessee, but hails from Richmond, Virginia. Andrew, welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I appreciate it, man. Well, um, I first heard you and saw you and met you on the Rock Boat just uh, this past month, early February. Uh, we went out of Tampa, sailed down to uh, Key West and the Bahamas. And uh, to be honest with you, Andrew, I had never heard your music before. I think maybe, maybe I might have heard it on one of the uh, six-man uh, Spotify's, but probably there was this particular Rock Boat for me. I've been on this was my sixth one, and wow. I had not. 
um, I was not actually very familiar with very many of the artists. You know, of course, Sister Hazel, a uh, little bit Bronze Radio Return, and uh, Red Wanting Blue, and maybe one or two others. But most of the bands were actually pretty new to me. But uh, as, uh, as Sister Hazel said um, in their closing show, they said, we're thinking of uh, changing the name of this cruise to the Trust Us Cruise. <laughs> because by the end of the five nights, I think just about everybody on the boat was like, wow, we are walking away with a lot of new to us music. Um, I mean, there was always, there's always like a couple of bands you come on for, um, and maybe one or two, you know, uh, people come on for one or two bands that they're familiar with. But, but anyway, I saw your first show. I think it was your first show on the rock boat, um, your airwaves release party. Um, yes. And that was really fun. That was in the, um, Miss Spinnaker. Spinnaker, yeah, room there, which was, you know, sort of the indoor, a lot of kind of loungy feel to it. Um, and that was, but, you know, we actually took over the dance floor, I think. So we oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, the vibe, the vibe in there is almost, I mean, to me, it's kind of space age, almost like the Jetsons or something. I think it's all those rounded chairs. Like, I don't know why it makes me think of that. But, and, yeah, and that show actually wasn't our first, but it was our first indoor gig. We had done two outside shows on the sports court, just getting windblown while playing guitar solos, which kind of feels appropriate. Well, I regret I missed uh, the sports court, but I saw you, I think uh, one of the next nights, um, I was excited because you guys were doing like the 80s night, like till almost two in the morning um, in the uh, Magnum's bar area there. And um, that was a lot of fun. And not only that, but like, you know, you sort of, there's some expected songs, maybe some Tom Petty and others that you expect people to do. Uh, but you were doing some, 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 I thought, some deeper cuts into the 80s, even a few songs I wasn't really familiar with. And I kind of <laughs> left there thinking, um, you know, these guys could just, uh, if, if, doesn't, if they don't make it uh, on their own, you know, they can just always be an 80s cover band. <laughs> we've, always, we've always got that as plan B then. Yeah, we, you know, we live in Nashville. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if you've been to Nashville, but I kind of oh, yeah. feel like, yeah, well, the music community is, um, it's split. Not in half, but I feel like when people think about Nashville, you know, if a person is not from there and they go to visit and they want to catch live music, they'll often go uh, downtown to Broadway or lower Broadway. Um, you know, and, and like that's where all the honky tonks are. Um, it's kind of, you know, I liken that part of Nashville to uh, Times Square in New York in that it's it's very um it's a picture that most people have of, of the town but it's not necessarily indicative of that town or that community and so um you know with the 80s thing we just wanted to choose a bunch of 80s covers that don't get played every night on a place like lower broadway in nashville and so you know that means you know no uh you know no journey don't stop believing but yes to an in excess deep cut that kind of thing yeah yeah, that was just a lot of fun, and then I know you, um, you guys were back out on the uh, pool deck, and, and I think you you actually closed out the entire rock boat on the pool deck um, with uh, the rest of us were experiencing uh, fog and wind and maybe a little dewiness, but about ten feet higher on the stage, you guys just looked like you were getting drenched, and I think they had to maybe even cut the show down, but it was it was an epic ending to what was otherwise unbelievably beautiful weather on a five-night uh, cruise. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Mother Nature kind of closed that one down for us. It was it was confusing to be on stage. I remember we were getting up there, and like even before anybody was in the audience, we were just getting our guitars plugged in, and we were trying to tape down the set list onto the stage 
floor, but we couldn't because it was wet. But I was confused why it was wet because it wasn't raining. And then, um, you know, once we kind of kicked into it and everybody was there, it was it was almost as though we had our own little microclimate on stage. And it was just tropical, <laughs> tropical rainforest while we were playing. Yeah, we were trying to get back into Tampa. Um, and, uh, you know, for those not familiar, uh, the Rock Boat on the last night after Sister Hazel does their last show in, the, in sort of the indoor theater, uh, everybody comes back out on the pool deck and um, sort of one band uh, is charged with leading the charge. Uh, to sort of bring up other artists, uh, mostly a lot of covers and just a lot of fun. And you guys were the band chosen this year. I know my friends at Melodyme uh, have had some epic years up there doing that. Right. You guys were sort of taking the uh, the baton. Um, but also, uh, you know, Andrew, for those that don't know you uh, or haven't seen a picture of you, uh, you've got that, that long hair, that cl- sort of classic 80s rock look as well. And, uh uh, or maybe that Nashville look, I don't know. But, you know, up there, the uh, the wind was blowing hard. The rain was coming. It looked like something, uh, you know, a, a producer uh, might stage for an MTV video. <laughs> right. It did. It felt, it felt like that with all the, like, you know, like the purple and pink lights as well. Um, you mentioned Melodyne. You know, we knew that that was, um, you know, that that, that, you know, last evening, that last show was kind of a, you know, like a tradition on the rock boat. And we really wanted to honor that. And we, you know, kind of like that whole week on the boat, we wanted to, uh, you know, just immediately jump in and not, you know, not take that year to, um, to kind of gain the lay of the land and, uh, you know, like figure out what to do for the next year. Like if we get back, we just wanted to jump in immediately. And so what that resulted in was a lot of cabin shows and then a lot of extra gigs that we took on, including that eighties, uh, late night gig and then that pool deck set. Um, it was awesome. We were we were honored that um, you know that we would even get a chance to uh, you know to spearhead that. Yeah. Well, as a rock boater, can you tell uh, some of uh, the people listening who may not have been on the rock boat what uh, what you meant when you uh, mentioned uh, the cabin shows? Yeah. So um, you know, like basically, the like the rock boat has a couple different levels of like of accommodations from a really really small like interior window free room, which is what. You know, we stayed in. Yeah. Yeah. We stayed in those. I mean, that makes uh, for some great sleeping conditions because it is just pitch black. Yeah. Um, yeah, Once you turn off the light and it could be, you know, it could be it could be two in the afternoon and it feels like three in the morning, Um, you know, but so like those are on the smaller end and then you have larger rooms as well. And, um, you know, we played we played a couple uh, larger cabins, but pretty much. you know, like if like if the occupant of that of that cabin wants to have over, you know, a couple dozen of their friends and bust out the wine or whatnot and have a band come play a couple of tunes acoustically, um, then they reach out. And we got a couple offers to do that. Um, and we over, you know, we accepted a whole bunch. We kind of like overextended ourselves. And then we added, you know, those you know like official gigs. And then when I got on the boat, I was kind of battling some I don't know what it was, maybe a cold or, or the, you know, like early flu stages. And so I didn't want to, um, you know, completely blow out my voice, but we did three of those cabin shows, one of which was in a smaller cabin and, you know, it was great. It was, you know, we did that on the first day and then, you know, we went all the way up to, um, you know, we played this, this penthouse cabin that had a view of the front of the boat and the people who were renting that cabin also owned a winery in California. And, and so, you know, like there was really good quality wine everywhere. Um, and we got to play outside. So that was amazing. So, and it just, 
Go ahead. Well, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it just it gives, you know, part part of the rock boat or you know part of our job like, as we saw it on the rock boat was not only uh, you know playing music, but to go and to meet everyone and to just you know like hang out. Like I feel like that's a large part of why people go on the rock boat. You know, you can bump into Andrew McMahon on your way to the buffet. Or you can, you know, you can talk to guys in Magic Giant in the casino. You know, we're all on the boat together. And I guess if a band wants to seclude themselves, they could. But um, it's kind of like it's kind of like a forced, you know, week long party. And yeah, I love that. Great. I've always enjoyed it on the rock boat, the camaraderie that the bands and the fans have with each other. And it's it's just a, just a great time. Well, um, when you were growing up, Andrew, uh, I trust it was probably somewhere in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, and you, um, uh, what, what were some of your influences? I know, I know uh, you're, you're coming out with a new album, which we'll talk about in a little bit, called Airwaves, um, right. and I know on the boat, when you were talking about the naming of this album, you were talking about kind of some of those songs you grew up listening to on the airwaves, and uh, the song, you'll, you'll hear a little bit about that, but uh, tell me a little bit about uh, some of your influences growing up, and also just how you got involved um, in music. Yeah. Well, I guess you know, I'll begin, you know, with the radio aspect, because like that was kind of the greatest like like educator in terms of music, um, you know, and I guess my earliest memories of listening to the radio are right before, you know, grunge really hit. Um, and so like back then you could you could just listen, you know, to whatever local FM kind of pop music station there was and you could hear rock and roll on it still. Um so I heard, you know, Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen and John Mellencamp and, you know, Bob Seger, like the kind of artists who I think now, you know, a, you know, like a young toddler would have to purposely seek out, which is not easy for a toddler to do, you know, but back then I could just like be in my mom's station wagon and hear like Free Fallen and think, I really dig this. And so I think that kind of music, um, it just kind of created like the bedrock of what feels natural for me to hear um and so that's just yeah like that's kind of my musical home base and like you said the new album you know scratches that itch kind of gets back to that but um just to remain in the past like for a bit so like i had an older brother or like i have an older brother still <laughs> um and uh he um you know he helped like break down the walls in terms of you know he got he got music into the house that our parents didn't bring you know like he would he would go with his buddies, you know, like on their bikes to the local mall and come back with a, you know, like a ton of cassette tapes. And he was really into hair metal. And so I was, you know, like the only kindergartner like around who knew the words to, you know, warrants cherry pie and that kind of thing, which is, you know, probably not as cool as I thought it was at the time. You know, it's funny because I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And, um, you know, the way I got music was what you're describing. It was either on the radio um, or MTV or yeah. uh, going to a record store. Uh, I mean, I just saw, I remember going to Peach. I, mean, I literally remember my parents taking us. Oh, I love Peaches. In the early to mid 80s, whenever We Are the World came out. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. You know, there was a big charity drive for that. I remember physically getting in the car with my parents, driving up to Peaches, getting that record. Literally, it was a little record that we got and driving home and listening to it and feeling like whatever, we were part of We Are the World. So, but I just remember like things like that, and then later like things like uh, Specs and Blockbuster Music, and all these things would come along. Uh, now those places are almost non-existent, especially the big chain ones. You'll find some small, you know, right down the street from me here in Orlando is Park Avenue CDs, um, 
which I actually just uh, decluttered my place here and, uh, and actually got rid of a lot of CDs and cassettes because I feel like I listen to so much on digital now. But, right. um, but anyway, uh, you know, but now it's like, it's actually, how is it like, because I feel like it's hard for me to learn new music other than just like sort of this poppy stuff that, you know, comes out. And, um, and a lot of times that's why I rely on things like the rock boat or things like rock by the sea, six man, everything, uh, that are bringing new artists and, and, and me being able to learn who some of these new artists are other than somebody just yeah. becoming really big, like say a Bruno Mars level or something. So how do, how do you kind of, as an artist, one, find new music to listen to, but also try to cut through some of that to, to find, to, you know, gain new fans. Well, just you know, as a listener, it's hard for me as well to kind of keep on top of everything. Um, you know, we'll probably talk about this in a bit, but I've worked as a music uh, a journalist as well for about 10 years. And I think I think because of that, like a lot of people always ask me, you know, what are you listening to? And I've, you know, like I've been telling them, you know, Tom Petty for the past yeah. <laughs> decade, because, you know, that's, you know, like that is just kind of continuously what I'm what I'm drawn to. Um you know, but as a musician, it is, you know, it is a bit, a bit hard to kind of cut through. Um, well, you know, it's hard, it's hard to be raised. I think at the time when we were raised, when there was, you know, there was one, you know, there was one kind of clearer way of how like bands kind of came up through the ranks. And then when it actually becomes your turn, those rules have all changed, but I'm coming around to making peace with it because I'm sure, you know, like, I'm sure when recorded music, you know, became a thing and people began putting out albums there were purists who were like, this is wrong. Like, you know, like uh, music is meant to be, you know, watched in a symphony hall and it doesn't get recorded because when it's like recorded, you lose, you know, you, you, you lose that awesome like feeling when, you know, you feel like an oboe in your chest or whatnot, or, you know, like the timpani is never going to like hit you as hard on, you know, like a record as it is, you know, like in an actual like venue. And so I think it's, you know, like in some ways it's probably, kind of like a rite of passage for like each uh, generation to like think that, you know, that like they had it the right way. And this like a newer generation is coming in and, and changing listening habits and messing it all up. Um, you know, we've kind of always viewed the way that this music is going to get heard best, you know, like as a live thing, you know, I feel like, I feel like rock and roll in general just kind of comes alive, you know, more in concert. Um, you know, we're not, we're not playing to recorded tracks, you know, we're not playing to loops, it's just, you know, like live instruments all together all at once. And that's why doing a thing like the rock boat or going and opening for a band is great because, um, in a way it simplifies our job and we don't have to worry as much about, you know, did we contact the right local newspapers to try to get our gig listed? And, you know, did we call like every last high school friend who might now live in Kansas city or wherever we're playing we can just, you know, like focus on, you know, like, are we going to play like a good gig? Like, do we have a good order of tunes? Are we all, you know, like in this together? And, um, yeah, I mean, like, like uh, playing the rock boat, you know, like a place where we basically had an audience captive for a week was great because you guys couldn't go anywhere. We could just go to another listen. room and listen to somebody else. But <laughs> well, uh, you know, you know, we were talking about that, too, about that time we grew up in, you know, so there was a time, you know, say 60, 70, 80, you know, 80 before the radio, right? Uh, right. The, the, the radio and television only been around for a very, very small part of history um, and, and recording devices as well. Very small part of history. So I feel like we actually lived in a period 
um, where we had a, you know, I hate to use the word homogenous culture, but probably more of a shared culture where there was only a handful of television stations until you started getting, you know, more with cable. But even then you only had one music channel and then you had two, um, and, uh, and a little split offs from there. But, uh, but you had, you know, the radio dial, right? I mean, that was sort of controlled a lot with record companies, um, sort of finding their relationships with, with radio stations and people just trying to get on that radio dial. And, and in fact, you know, payments and things like that going back and forth. So, uh, now though you have this, you know, you have with Spotify, with Apple, iTunes, all these, you have where you could, you don't have to download a whole album. You could download song by song. You could subscribe to a service. You can stream whatever you want. Um, you can get a lot of music free. I guess Napster sort of was the, uh, the, the bridge to, to all of that. Um, but, sure. but, uh, so, so there's, but, so there's probably a lot more like ability for an artist like you to get your songs out there to people, but there's probably, um, less of a shared culture, you know, for that to get, um, to get big. And, and there probably are still somebody, some, um, some gatekeepers along the way to, you know, getting people to, to really a huge national or international level. But, uh, oh, yeah. what, what do you think about, uh, some, some of that? Well, I mean the, you know, the, um, yeah, it's easier to get your music, uh, to people. Like, I think it's harder to monetize it now because, um, you know, you can just, you can just look at the newspaper industry as well. Like, and that's an industry that I know because I've had column, uh, you know, column positions like at newspapers, you know, as like a music journalist and as more and more people get their news online where it's normally free, um, you know, you see, um, subscription levels, you know, you know, going down constantly. And I understand, you know, once a person gets a thing that they used to pay for, like for free, it's hard to make them go back and pay for it again. You can, you can try to like incentivize them with all kinds of you know, like amenities, but it's kind of, it's like once, once, once that rabbit is out of the hat, it's not going to go back in, you know? So, um, I've been told by you know, a number of musicians who've, who've made it, you know, in much more of a capacity than we ever have that, um, you know, your albums are a tool to sell your live show. It's not the other way around. And, um, you know, with this, with this new album, Airwaves, especially, I think, you know, more than a, you know, more than a live show, we're trying to sell, um, kind of like a way of like being a music fan or just like a way of like appreciating a kind of music that, um, it's not, it's not, it's not like, it's not like a niche genre these days, but I feel like when most people think of rock and roll, they think of, you know, perhaps like a harder kind of music than the kind of like a rock and roll we play, you know, you know, we're looking to Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen and people like that as our touchstones. And, you know, like a lot of time when we tell people we play rock and roll, they say, Oh, okay, cool. Like Jack White or, or like the black keys. And I like those guys as well, but it's, it's uh, just not what we do. And so I think part of our like identity and part of what we're also trying to get people to rally behind is this idea of, you know, like, Hey, you know, we're big fans of this kind of music, you know, like, of this kind of, um, you know, time period where this music was king and all the nostalgia that gets wrapped around with that and all of the like imagery that gets wrapped around with that. Um, you know, that's kind of what this like uh, new album's identity is all about. And it's just what we're trying to get other people to uh, to be as pumped about as we are. 
That's awesome. Well, you know, it's funny because I like a lot of genres of music, uh, rock, country, blues, you know, a little hip hop, you know. So I think a lot of t- people today, there's been a lot more blending of things. But it's funny, when I walked in and saw you guys playing on the rock boat, and especially the second night when I saw you play the 80s tunes, I don't know. I think I turned to one of my friends and said, this is just like good old fashioned rock and roll. I don't know how else to describe you guys, but just like just like that old like rock and roll that rocks. I don't know. Um, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Not, you know, not everybody gets that. Like, I think it might be, um, you know, we're from Nashville and, you know, we wear cowboy boots. Um, it could be the fact that I grew up in Virginia and perhaps I have an accent. I don't, you know, I don't want to have an accent. I've tried my whole life not to have one, but you know, people, people still call this kind of music country. And I think I probably have more of a knee jerk reaction to that than I should, you know, like being that I live in Nashville, being that a lot of my work as a journalist is in the country music genre, just, I feel like that's, that's not what we do. But at the end of the day, if a genre is, you know, like, it's just like a word that you can put on music to, um, like to help people kind of make sense of what you're doing quicker, then that's okay. Like if they want to call us polka, that's okay. As long as they're, you know, watching us and judging in like after watching us. Well, it's funny you mentioned this because uh, Rolling Stone uh, just last week, uh, as as we're as we're recording this, uh, put you guys in a category of the ten top country artists you need to know. Uh, but with that said, here's what they said about you, uh, about Andrew Leahy. They said his upcoming LP Airwaves is a celebratory mix of sharp storytelling and fist pumping rock and roll swagger. And they also said that you and your band and your new album are for fans of Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen, and Ryan Adams. Right. And that was probably before Ryan Adams became a a hot, controversial topic, too. Yeah. Um, I haven't been. Yeah. We'll skip that. Sure. Yeah. That's that's another podcast. Um, Yeah. I mean, that I mean, that's very, um, you know, it's flattering. They actually they covered us. like a couple times and that specific that specific article was from i think a couple weeks ago but then last week they put us they named my song airwaves as um the song of the day and and that uh luckily you know came without any kind of country music ties like and again i don't want it to come across like i'm you know like, like any press is good press especially with rolling stone but it's just like it's been it's been interesting to me um kind of the uh the confusion like or the muddiness when it comes to what kind of music we play because uh, to me it's just it's clear rock and roll and it's um not classic rock but it's a classic approach uh to rock and roll well it's funny because when a, a lot of people also will you know maybe ask me what's your favorite genre of music and i'll kind of tell them what i just told you but i say you know my my fit is rock and roll and but like that means a lot of things to a lot of people, and I don't know. In my mind, I just, uh, you know, I just think of you know just good old fashioned rock and roll. So, um, but anyway, um, what you've talked a little bit about some of your early influences, Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen. Did you have any other uh, influences on um, on you and your music? Uh, whether you carried that through uh, as a musician or just as a listener? Yeah. Well, growing up, um, you know, my mom was a classical like vocalist and would do. Um, you know, would get like hired to sing at weddings and, you know, church services and like funerals and that kind of thing. And she, um, you know, I mean, I mean, bless her for this. Um, you know, she kind of like, uh, made my brother and I take vocal lessons at a really young age. 
And so for a long time, like all through up, like all through middle school and high school, college, and even a couple years after college, I did a lot of kind of like academic minded classical music as a vocalist. Um, you know, whether that was, you know, like, a like a me doing like a magical choir, like in high school, like, or me doing like a big chamber choir in college, or like after I graduated and moved up um, to Manhattan and lived there for a couple of years, I spent two years performing with this choir at Juilliard too. Um, and that was really notch right there. Yeah, it was top notch. And it was cool. I got to, um, you know, I got to like sing at Carnegie Hall and, um, you know, we were conducted for like a performance by, um, you know, Marvin Hamlish and that was incredible. But I think it took, it took me kind of climbing up that ladder and getting, you know, fairly high on it and looking around, uh, to realize that it wasn't, it wasn't exactly what I wanted. You know, I think when I was younger, um, you know, when you're younger, you're just, you're more used to people telling you what to do because you're a kid and there are rules and you're not old enough to like uh, make your own rules. And so like, I was really, really good at classical music and I completely understood, you know, you read this printed music, you do it the exact, you know, the like exact same way every time you crescendo when it tells you to, you like decrescendo when it tells you to. And the mark of how well you perform it is how close to the, um, like uh, notated music, you perform it, and you kind of you kind of like iron out the irregularities in your in your like voice or the like specific things that make your voice yours. You iron those out because it's more of like a group you know mentality. Um, and it took me to um, it, you know like yeah, it took until my like early twenties when I was doing that Juilliard thing to kind of look around and realize that I wanted to be more creative. I like the fact that you know when I play with my band, I mean you know, we never play the same song the same way twice. It's not like a huge change. You know, we're not going to turn, you know, like a waltz scene, like ballad into, into like a Latin, you know, samba or anything, but you know, I'm absolutely always going to change, you know, my guitar leads and we're going to kind of take like the temperature of the audience and the venue and how different things sound in that venue. And, you know, like, and change our performance accordingly. And you can't really do that in classical music. That's true. Um, so, Andrew, you're from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, where did you go to college? UVA. Okay, University UVA, of Virginia. Charlottesville, beautiful campus. Um, yeah, man. Jefferson's campus. Uh, yep, indeed. You know about it then. <laughs> yes, I've been there. It's a beautiful campus. Uh, I went to grad school at the University of Maryland, and me and a buddy traveled down there for a football game against UVA, I don't know, probably circa 2003, and we got our butts handed to us by you guys. And uh, But I appreciated all the traditions at UVA, um, and it was it was a lot of fun. And it's a beautiful scene there with those mountains there. But um, uh, but I know you, then you went up to New York. You mentioned uh, doing some work there. And w- uh, where, I know you ended up in Nashville. Uh, was that was Nashville your next move, or where did you end up next? Nope. I had an in-between uh, trip to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I lived like for a number of years you know, got married there. Um, you know, I took a job at this, um, this music company, uh, website kind of thing called allmusic.com, which had, which had been kind of, you know, like a dream job of mine, like for a while. Um, you know, growing up, like I remember telling my mom that I wanted to be like a, you know, like a musician when I grew up and my mom said, you need a backup plan. And I said, well, I'll be a, like a music journalist if it doesn't work out. And mom was like, it doesn't count. You, <laughs> you know, you know, can't you be like a lawyer or like a doctor or something? Um, and so, um, you know, kind of like, 
you know, uh, much like I needed to kind of climb the uh, classical music ladder before I realized what I actually wanted to do musically with my own stuff. Like, I feel like it, you know, like I had to climb up that journalism ladder um, and get to a point where that career was going pretty well until I realized, you know, you know, like people, people told me this wouldn't work and look, it's worked, but I really want to play music. I'm going to go do that now. So like Ann Arbor, I spent you know, like a couple of years as uh, the pop editor at allmusic.com, uh, pop just being everything that wasn't classical. And it was kind of like a really good crash course in uh, just music history and, uh, you know, kind of looking at the artists I liked and and tracing back their kind of music and looking at their influences and looking at those people's influences, kind of like boiling all of that down. Like it really helped with my writing. And at the end of my time there, I was really ready to get out and go play music. And given that, you know, again, not that I had wasted a number of years in the journalism field, but kind of given that I felt like I had lost a bit of time, I wanted to go to a town that would really kick my butt and, um, you know, would just light a fire under me, light a nuclear blast under me. And so it came down to um, New York, L.A. or Nashville. And I'd already lived in New York. And I didn't want to go out to L.A., so it was Nashville. Nashville won out. Well, it's great. Well, uh, we've had a number of artists from uh, from Nashville on the Agents of Innovation podcast. And uh, I've been up there a few times uh, myself uh, for work and just and also visiting some friends. It seems like more and more people I know are moving there, even even some non-musicians. It's just a great city um, and really well, well uh, located, uh, especially for all you touring musicians. Yeah, that's – I mean, you know, one, one other town that we actually nearly uh, – moved to that wasn't like in the list I just gave you was Seattle and that's a great town but I was just talking to a band from there the other day and they were talking about the like difficulty of touring because mm. you know you have Portland you know close to you and then you just have to drive man you're in you're in you're in the top left corner of the country you know um yeah, you know whereas 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 Nashville like if we're gonna you know within 10 hours we can hit so many giant musical markets that like I don't even want to list them for you because it would take the whole podcast but um well, yeah um, and we've toured a lot and and Nashville makes that possible yeah well so you're in Nashville how long have you been there now man we're old timers by Nashville standards um about about eight years just wow. shy of that yeah well and I know um uh your wife is in veterinary school in Knoxville at UT uh and yes. uh from what I've learned from you you uh you sort of go back and forth between Knoxville and Nashville. Plus, you're on the road a lot. So, how does that work, especially with your yeah. marriage? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm in Knoxville right now, actually. And then yesterday, I was in Richmond, Virginia. And the week before that, I was in Nashville. And before that, I was with you on the boat in Key West and the Bahamas. And the week before that, I was in LA doing this album with Elizabeth Cook. So, yeah, I feel like it. Um, you know, I think I think that I like emailed you this. It's kind of like I'm always on tour, even when I'm not. And I, on tour, but um, and like, I think given that I'm, you know, given that I've you know like, logged like a number of years, you know, like living out of my backpack, you know, constantly going from one place to another, it makes me I think like better equipped to handle what's basically a long yeah like a long distance marriage than most people would. So uh, you know, like on any given week, I'll be in Nashville for one or two days. I'll be in Knoxville one or two days, and then I'll go and play gigs you know, wherever my band has them or wherever, um, you know, a band has them if they've hired me to play guitar for them. And yeah, so it's just, um, let's talk about you know, it teaches your... you to, Oh, go ahead. 
Well, I'm just going to say, like, it teaches you to, uh, I don't know. It, yeah, like, you know, when when you have a um, situation that's, you know, like it doesn't it doesn't come with a lot of ease, just it, it makes you have to be really sure that what you're doing is what you want to do. You know, like, it's not like anyone is making me, you know, like, like uh, be a musician or tour as a musician. You know, I could always just kind of quit that job and be in Knoxville with my wife until that, uh, you know, like, until like her school is done but like i do want to play music and so this um situation like as challenging as it can be it's also good because it makes you double down on who you are and what you want to do and hey it gives her time to focus on her studies uh (laughs) exactly (laughs) but hey um i know you you also mentioned you uh you play guitar uh for some other bands uh tell us uh who you uh, uh play with sort of consistently and 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 some of the other acts that maybe you've played with over the years Sure. Well, I'll begin with the acts that I've played with like, over the years. So um, it gets kind of crazy to me because when I came to Nashville, I wasn't a lead guitarist at all. You know, I was that guy who would play like the acoustic guitar and then like hire the band to do the heavy lifting you know, like instrumentally. Um, you know, but like over the years, I realized that I would need to like distinguish myself a bit more. And, you know, I've had a hard time keeping some kind of consistency in my band. And so I think now that I'm the lead guitarist, um, you know, like the guitar riffs are always going to come from me. The writing clearly comes like from me. I'm the lead singer as well. And that helps kind of it just helps like like strengthen the identity of what Andrew Leahy and the Homestead actually is. Um, You know, but so as a guitarist, I've played with this really good country artist named Michaela Ann. I've played with a guy named Slahetka. It's a mouthful. Slahetka, he kind of, you know, he has my issue of like teetering between the Americana worlds and rock and roll worlds. I played with a guy named Jamie Kent, played with a guy named John Latham. Um, it's, it's like, a, I mean, like, it's like a ton. Like, I've been, I've been like on stage playing guitar with Will Hogue, with Rodney Crowell, with uh, Drew Holcomb, like a ton. And Elizabeth Cook is my main gig in terms of, um, you know, being a sideman. Like, I'm still busier with my band, but you know, when I'm playing and it's not with my band, it's often with Elizabeth Cook. And that's really cool because like Elizabeth Cook is kind of, you know, she's alt country, you know, she's much more like entrenched in that uh, roots music world than I am. And so we've been able to play the Grand Ole Opry and the Ryman Auditorium and, you know, these kinds of gigs that like, are great for me, like as a musician to have under my belt. But, you know, those kinds of gigs wouldn't really apply to my band because, you know, we're never going to get asked to play the uh, Grand Ole Opry because we're too loud and too non-twangy. Yeah, but no, those are really great opportunities. And uh, and so um, I know you're, you mentioned before some of you, the writing you've done with allmusic.com. Can we talk about some of the other uh, writing you've done as a music journalist? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it currently um, is done under an alias because, you know, as my own music uh, performance career picks up like I realized it could possibly you know I don't want to conflate my two jobs I don't want people to get confused I don't want people to uh you know google Andrew Leahy in the homestead and they come across you know like all these you know articles like written you know like written like by Andrew Leahy not about Andrew Leahy so I'm not I'm not going to announce publicly what my alias is but I'll totally tell you after the call is done if you want okay Um, so you got an alias and and where do you write (laughs) Uh, so with the alias, uh, Rolling Stone is a gig that I do a lot. Like that's mostly country stuff. Um, so not necessarily my, um, you know, like not my contemporaries in terms of genre, but it'll be more 
you know, you know, Carrie Underwood's new album is out or, you know, I did this Keith Urban, you know, cover story a while back and that was awesome. Um, you know, but I've also written for like American songwriter. Like I just had a cover story, um, on, on Vince Gill, like for them. Um, um, who else? Uh, Paste Magazine, although like it's been years. I do this, um, like this brand new travel website, like I'm writing for them. Um, and then like, I do a lot of like behind the scenes, um, kind of like, almost like, almost like a publicity writing, like I'll do bios on a band. So like if they have a new album coming out, uh, like as part of their PR package, like they need this kind of written narrative that explains what the album is and kind of puts it into context with the rest of their catalog. And I'll do that. And those are unbylined. My name isn't on it. And I like that. Um, and I, you know, because you, uh, you're, uh, you also have a, do a music column for the Washington times. I used to. So that was, um, that was years ago. Um, that was actually back when I was in Ann Arbor and not really playing music, but yeah, that was cool. I mean, you know, the Washington times has a political reputation and it doesn't, it doesn't dovetail with my own political views, but you know, as to, you know, like for like a music, uh, columnist, um, like that was never an issue really. And it was great to just have like a weekly gig like that. And that, yeah, that was probably my, you know, uh, my first like big time thing as a music writer. So, uh, so you've done a lot of music writing. Uh, when we were in Key West, did you, uh, speaking of, uh, of aliases, well, he, he didn't have an alias, but <laughs> did you visit did I go to Hemingway's uh, house? Yeah, did you visit the Hemingway house? No, honestly, at that, at that point I was so sick, man. And I was really worried that, um, you know, my throat was killing me and I was congested and I was worried that like, I had like added all of these like extra gigs on the boat and I was going to play them and just not play them well. And so like my goal in Key West was just kind of like to run around and sweat in this, in this heat and try to sweat out whatever was, you know, was congesting me and it worked, but, um, you know, like in my running around, I did not, unfortunately, go by Hemingway's house. Did you? Well, I was in Key West uh, last April and did a whole tour then. So I didn't feel I needed to do one this time, but I totally recommend it. It's an amazing place. And there's one room when you get up there sort of in the back of the house, sort of has this uh, little wing there where something like two-thirds of his works are written in that room. Um, so it's, yeah. it's just kind of cool to be there. And as someone who likes to write as well, uh, it's uh, it's just great to see one of the you know most influential writers in the in the last century uh home and where he lived and where he got drunk and you know, all these sorts of crazy stories and <laughs> all the crazy cats uh, walking around uh still so it's a it's a cool place and i totally recommend it if anyone's gonna be in key west well andrew um i uh, so you've got so in um your last album came out when in 2016 yeah 2016 skyline in central time so tell me a little bit about that album and, and what about the, the name of that album? Well, so that so at the name, um, it kind of points to um, the changing skyline in Nashville. Um, you know, like, I forget what the actual statistic is, but it's like there's some like overwhelming number of people moving to Nashville every week. Um, it's pretty nuts. And so, you know, even like in the time that like we've been there, you know, uh, my wife and I got there in 2011, it's a completely different town. I like, I like where it's going. Like I like big towns. I really liked, you know, like living in Manhattan. That was okay for me. Like I do well with a lot of stimulus It's the quiet. And, uh, yeah, like it's like the quiet that like makes me get into my own head, uh, too much and get anxious. So, um, 
yeah, like yeah, like that name. It was it was it was like I meant to draw like a line between kind of the uh, changes in my own life and the changes in the town that was my home, and the changes in my own life at that time, and also kind of the you know like a big um, a big creative um, source of inspiration on the album was this you know crazy medical thing I'd gone through a couple years prior to that, uh, two years prior to that, where I was um, diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, this, uh, tumor called an acoustic neuroma, which grows on your hearing nerve. And, um, you know, like it'll kill you ultimately, but like on its way toward that, it'll wipe out your hearing and then your balance and just, you know, cause all the problems that like a thing growing in your head will cause. And then, you know, lights out. So I, you know, like, uh, luckily I got the, um, the diagnosis pretty early and I had a pretty, long gnarly operation with a long recovery time and um i was just really really pumped to be to be okay and uh you know to get my life like back on track and so i think i mean not to uh not to like throw that album like under the bridge or anything i'm really glad that i that i wrote it but um you know with that album like i thought i thought it was going to be my big reflection on what i had been through and what it you know what it meant to be alive which is you know, a feeling that like uh, most of us don't really stop and look at like until until you know like, that ability to like be alive is like threatened. Yeah, you know, like, I thought I thought it was going to be that, but like I realized with this with this new album that like I needed perspective and I needed like to get back on the road and play gigs and feel that gratitude and just you know like that everything of like getting back on stage and doing this thing again that you know, like this thing that like at one moment I was, I was worried I'd never get to do again. Yeah. Tell me about that. I was, I know, uh, there's been some articles written about your, uh, you know, your experience there with the brain tumor and how it was potentially also going to affect your hearing. So even if you sort of survived the surgery, you may be, was it, was the, was, was it going to affect your hearing completely or just one ear? Did, did they know? Yeah, it was well. They gave me like a one in two chance of completely losing hearing in my right ear. Like in my right ear is where the tumor was located. You know, you have you have uh, two hearing nerves, one on either end of your head, and so it was the one like on the right side of my head, like that had a thing growing on it. And um, yeah, it's just like it's like it's precious real estate in there. Like in your nerves, I mean, like your hearing nerve um, is you know, like it's like a you know, like it's like a spaghetti strand. You know, so like a thing that's growing on there can really cause problems and pulling it off can cause permanent, you know, problems to that spaghetti strand. And, um, yeah, yeah. And they gave me like a one in two chance of losing like all of that hearing. They, um, they told me, or they told me 100% they would have to cut my balance nerve and I would have to relearn, you know, like how to walk, how to like orient my balance. And luckily that, you know, that wound up not being necessary. They were able to, uh, do the operation and not have to do that. Um, and they ultimately gave me like odds on, on just on not making it through at all, which was weird because, you know, I'd never had that before. And I remember going into the hospital, like, like the morning of the operation and they were like, all right, do you have your will? And I was like, no, I don't have my will. I'm not planning on that, like being needed either, you know, but I hadn't even thought of that because it's just like, it's you know, when you're in your late twenties, early thirties, that's just not a thing you need to think about normally. 
Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. I did not know your story on the boat. Uh, someone told me about it after we got off the boat. Um, but I had heard Andrew McMahon's story on the boat. And I, again, I wasn't too familiar yeah. with him. I knew, I heard, heard a few of his songs before going on the boat, but never. But he had a, quite a, uh, an interesting In leukemia. Story. Yeah, and he had uh, obviously uh, another cancer survivor, but also a story like what, 20, 21 years old, also was told by the doctor. Um, you know, you may, after this, the radiation will affect you so much that you probably won't be able to have kids. So you may want to like yeah. take that sperm now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. he told this whole story about his mom then needing to take the, uh, the sperm donation to, uh, whatever place while he was getting, uh, his surgery. <laughs> and, uh, and, la- <laughs> and later on, um, when his daughter was born, which I assume was born with this sperm he banked, I don't know, based on the story, uh, his yeah. mom's first words when the baby was in his hand was, I think I had a hand in this. Um, which he was like, come nice. on, mom, you know, um, I thought it was a pretty, he told a much more longer and elaborate story than that on stage, but it was, uh, it was pretty good, but it's nice when you can poke fun at something that you've recovered and struggled through. Um, yeah, when I wanted, I wanted to flag him down on the boat, you know, like, I remember like at the meet and greet, you know, we had our own, you know, like meet, you know, like a meet and greet station right by his and the doors opened and just so many people flock to go talk to him. And so I was a bit reluctant to like flag him down in the hallway and be, you know, one more person who was like, Hey, let me tell you what your music has meant to me. But like in college, you know, I really, you know, I listened to like his, his older band, something corporate, you know, we would drive to Washington DC because no concerts at that time would come to, um, Charlottesville. Like we drive like a two hours and go catch him playing. And then I remember, you know, being really pumped about, um, like that first uh, Jack's Mannequin album coming out. And then when the news broke that he had this, you know, crazy thing happening, it was nuts. And I want to talk to him and just kind of, kind of like I tell him, you know, one, like I listened to you a lot, like at a time when I was just beginning to write songs and two, you know, like I kind of get it, you know, I mean like everyone's, everyone's experience is different, but, um, and I just want to tell him that I kind of get it. And I will one day. Um, yeah, I'm sure you have the opportunity at some point. Um, and if anyone from Six Man is ever listening to this episode, maybe they can help make that connection as well. Uh, well, totally. And I've, well, and I've gotten, I mean, just, um, you know, you and I were talking before we got like on this call and I could tell that you were a bit, you know, you were trying to be careful and you were saying, you know, we can talk about your brain thing. We don't need to. It can be really, really quick. And I, under, like, I understand why people are that way with me. And I really like appreciate the caution but, um, you know, I don't mind talking about it. It's, um, it's like, it's really, really like, it moves me like in a way that I can't even like articulate when a person comes up to me after a gig and they've gone through what I've gone through as well. Um, like that's incredible. Um, you know, but I've also like, I've tried, I've tried not to, um, just kind of like bring the story up too many times on my own because I don't want to make it seem like, you know, like I'm demanding that people feel like sorry for me or that I want to kind of cut ahead in line because I had this cataclysmic thing happen to me because you know, like everyone has their own like version of that. I think it could, you know, like I'm, you know, my parents are together like still and they're alive still. And, uh, you know, like I never had to have like, I don't know, like braces as a kid. It's, you know, like everyone has their own trial and you know like braces to an eight-year-old could be as cataclysmic at that point as what i went through as a you know guys like a late 20 something so 
Like, yeah. like, I don't even know what my point in bringing that up was like, other than I'm glad you brought it up because I probably wouldn't have just, uh, you know, you know, I got brought it up without prompting. Yeah, no. Uh, well, thank you for sharing your story. And I know, uh, you know, many of us have had people in our lives, uh, who gone through cancer or other struggles. And so I think being able to see somebody sort of in the spotlight in some ways, um, go through it and, and, per- and persist through it and share their story. I think it's great. So, so thanks for doing that. And um, and also, um, I know that uh, when you were on the boat, Six Man, the company that sort of runs the rock boat um, and is, uh, you know, uh, the company that runs all these uh, national or um, uh, all these uh, music cru- cruises, they, yeah. um, uh, you know, they also do a thing with some of the artists they handpick ahead of time to do uh, six-man sessions, they call it. I guess they bring, uh, they invited you to do it with maybe, what, about a half dozen, ten other artists or so um, yeah. to kind of go on your own little retreat. Um, tell us about and, and make and record some music. And I know you, you also uh, wrote a song about your mom and for your mom. And uh, uh, tell us, though, about the whole experience and then how it led you to write that song. Yeah, well, that was great. I was actually... Um like, it's funny that you ask because like, I was in I was in the room that I'm currently in right now, which is my buddy Rusty's office in downtown Knoxville. Um, like, like I was in that room when I got like, the news that we had won this contest in order to play on the rock boat. And that was incredible. And then they also told me, you know, like during during that like announcement that we were going to get to play the rock boat. They also told me that if I wanted to, I could come and do this is some songwriting program you know, like aboard the, uh, Chris Jericho rock and wrestling rager, which is just, you know, it's like hilarious. There's like two like disparate worlds of like this group of musicians and then all of these like wrestlers. And we would all like hang out together, like in the artist lounge. And it was incredible. It was, um, you know, coming, coming from Nashville where like everybody looks alike. It was, uh, yeah. I didn't even know. And you know, I'm not, Oh yeah. Yeah. And like the pool deck, you know, like the pool deck where you, you know, caught us playing that last night, like aboard the rock boat that like had a big wrestling rink and they just had kind of like the big, like marquee level matches on that. But so our job on that boat was just to, uh, kind of like spend all day writing tunes. And it was me, a couple other musicians, this, um, you know, great artist named Hannah Wickland, you know, a great, a great duo and in the Talbot brothers and a couple others as well. Um, and kind of like the whole like emphasis was on co-writing. So like each, no, uh, twice a day you're paired with like a different person and, um, you're like, you know, you're like expected, like if the, like if the muse is kind to you to come up with a song and I'm a really, really slow writer. And, um, you know, I don't really often co-write like on the new album, there are two co-writes and both of those are just, uh, tunes like that I had complete or like a more or less complete, but, you know, just kind of couldn't, couldn't put that last screw in and tighten up the last like uh, nuts and bolts. And so like, I took them to like a friend and said like, Hey, what do I do here? And they helped me. And, you know, you know, like thus it became a co-write. But so on the boat I did, you know, get one, you know, one pretty good tune with, um, Jet who who, uh, who plays bass in, in, um, in sister Hazel. And like, probably as like the coolest, like a uh, rock and roll name. I mean, Jet with two T's is pretty badass. And then the last is either like the last night or maybe the penultimate night. You know, I just like I had this idea in my head and wound up, or like I wound up writing it alone. And it was about my mom, who um, who like has Alzheimer's. Like I was actually just back home with my mom and dad in Richmond this past weekend, 
and it's crazy. Um, you know, like each time I go back, I'm able to kind of, you know, mark a new point, um, in her, in her battle with it. Um, and my mom was a teacher for years. Um, you know, was like intimidatingly smart. Um, and like, is, is like the reason that I write in, like as in like a journalist, she's like the reason that I play music because, you know, she put me into lessons when I was a kid. And so like, it's a bummer to me. Um, that's like an understatement to be like, to be doing this thing right now and to not be able to share it with her properly because, um, you know, I mean, you know, she might be listening like in the moment when I tell her like, Hey, I get to go on this cruise and play music. But, you know, but that like information is not going to be permanently logged anymore. It just kind of gets, kind of gets lost in the clutter. And so I wrote a song, um, I think on the, um, like on the EP that six man put out, it's called new memories, which I guess means like, that's the title of it. Um, and it's about, uh, it's about like her and just kind of the, the process of us continuing to have good times together, but knowing that those, um, like to her, those memories get washed away and I've never played it for her. I've never played it for my dad. Um, I don't know if I could, I will at one point, but, um, you know, playing it like on the rock boat and, you know, talking to so many people who came up afterwards, who've had, um, you know, like who've had that disease come into their families. Um, that was one of the highlights of the whole, of the whole trip for me. You really realize, um, you know, that music goes beyond you, you know? Yeah, no. And, uh, yeah, for many that have had Alzheimer's, isn't just something that the person experiences. It's something that all of their loved ones do. And it's, it's very tough. So we wish you and your mom and your whole family the best as you guys continue to battle that. Um, but, um, really nice that you were able to put a song together. And, uh, I regret that I was not in the six man sessions this year. I think they do it around noon and it was such a nice, beautiful day. <laughs> I was like, I want to be on the pool deck. And, um, and, uh, but I, I, I hope to go back and listen to the, um, uh, you know, they do that, that six man sessions in that very dark theater. And I was like, I don't want to be in yeah. the theater at noon, you know, um, when I, I paid to come on a cruise. So <laughs> sure. I've gone to some of those before. So, uh, but then uh, I heard everybody was coming out of there going, that was just unbelievable. And then I heard your story on there and everything. Uh, it was very emotional uh, playing of, of that song. And uh, so I, I look forward to going back and, and listening uh, to it. Cause I know they make it available to the, uh, the rock boaters. Um, but uh, Andrew, um, uh, l- a couple last questions here. This has gone a little longer than usual, but it's been great. Cause we've been getting a lot of great, uh, 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 sort of content from you and, uh, and sure. uh, two things, uh, one thing, uh, uh, so two questions. The first one is, uh, in a lot of, probably a lot, my last 15 episodes of this podcast, uh, I've been asking a question that I first, uh, heard from, um, a book that I read about a little over a year ago by Senator Ben Sass. Uh, the book's not political. It's more like cultural and things. It's called the vanishing American adult. And he says he likes to ask people when he meets them, what was their first job? And so I thought, boy, this would be great for my podcast at, where I interview entrepreneurs and artists. Um, so what was your first job? And maybe you already talked about it, um, but uh, if, if you uh, learned anything from it uh, or anything you sort of have with you today that you keep uh, with you. Yeah, um, well, it kind of, you know, it was working for myself, which is, which is, you know, what I do currently still as well. But, um, it was, uh, it was in like a lawn mowing business in my hometown of Richmond, you know, and I was, I was probably like 12 years old and had a ton of lawns. You know, like I was lucky to grow up in this place, you know, kind of, 
you know, kind of like an anonymous, um, like, like subdivision kind of thing, but just with a ton of like, you know, like houses whose occupants didn't want to mow their own lawns. And so I did that. And, uh, and how old were you then? I don't know. I was in middle school. I was about, I was about 12 years old. Like I remember doing it, um, you know, from what, like April until like November or so. And just, you know, like any weekend that I would want to go and do anything else cool, I, I would have to, you know, go home from, you know, class and just, you know, like literally sprint with my lawnmower and try to like mow these lawns really quickly so I could go to the, like the dance or like my buddy's concert or whatever. Um, but that was my first job like that. And then like in terms of, you know, getting hired and having a boss, uh, I was the, uh, nighttime manager of a swim and racket club in, uh, in the West end of Richmond. I was 17. Um, and it, uh, definitely like, you know, like a minimum wage job, incredibly, uh, unexciting, but it taught me what it, what it was like to do a nine to five because on weekends I was there a nine to five. And I remember like at the time that was just like a mind blowingly long amount of time to work a job, but it's a good lesson to learn. Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe that's why you still work for yourself. Uh, <laughs> it, it probably, you know, I love, you know, I love working for myself, like as much as it means that the work never ends because I take it home and I do have no, uh, you know, it's like, there's no, there's no closing time here. It's just, you know, like I'm going to go work at home now, like uh, rather than working at this coffee shop, but it's, it's great to be my own boss. Well, that's great. Um, and um, by the way, Andrew, I was reading an article earlier going back to your surgery uh, that not only did uh, you defeat cancer and this brain tuber, not only was your uh, uh, hearing preserved, which is awesome for all of us and for you as a music writer, uh, but also your your long hair, your rock and roll hair the, uh, was preserved. And this was something uh, that they seemed to... Uh, to really champion on the uh, in the medical article that I read, I read about you. <laughs> isn't that isn't that like hilarious and embarrassing as well? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, it was one of the like first questions my wife asked when we went to the meeting. You know, we went we went we went to this you know, appointment not knowing that I had a tumor. Um, you know, but like the doctor who was uh, talking to us like thought that we had heard, and so we sat down and he said like, okay, with a brain tumor like this, you know, we do advise a craniotomy. And I remember, you know, we were kind of like dumbfounded and um yeah and thus we had questions that you know were like popping up you know like immediately and my wife's question was you know like are you going to cut his hair off and they said yes but only only for like half of like his head and so i had a very interesting haircut for a while and then it all grew back but let me also say i was lucky the tumor was actually benign it was it was not it, yeah like it was not malignant like even though i think the article you yeah, it was not. It was not cancerous. You know, I didn't have to go through chemo or anything. Well, a tumor. That's pretty enough for me. <laughs> I beat a tumor. I just. I don't want. You know, like a person like Andrew McMahon, like yeah. went through chemo. I think, and I don't yeah. want to. Uh, I don't want to. You know, like, act like I know what that's like. I'm lucky that I don't know what that's like. Yeah. Well. So. Uh, so now, uh, uh, March first, your the Airways album is dropping, right? Yes. So for many listeners of podcasts, they don't listen to this right away, and this is going to come out right around that time. So for many people listening, that album was out, um, and so check it out and, and download it, and uh, you can you can go sample a few songs at uh, at um, Spotify. But trust me, uh, it's a great album. I've listened. Actually, I very rarely put CDs in my car anymore because like, we always have this. You know, you just plug your iPhone in and you listen to stuff. But um, but I, I since I bought the physical CD on the boat because I wanted to have it uh, before this interview. 
Um, I've just it's just been in my car and it's been great. And uh, so uh, you're competing with uh, with JD Iker now, who yes. know, always has the first song on my iPhone when I'm in a rental car. <laughs> but, well, I appreciate that. I feel like um, you know, given given how much we drive, you know, with the band, and then you know, like uh, me going back and forth from Nashville to Knoxville, you know, playing music in the car is kind of my like ultimate listening experience. So it, like, it means a lot to me that you would play that album in the car. Oh, great. And so uh, tell us um, uh, a little bit. Uh, you know, we, we heard a little bit about the album. Uh, I know the name Airwaves. We're going to play the song Airwaves here at the end of this episode. Uh, but tell us a little bit about this album and um, anything else you want to elaborate about it or, or tell us about um, so, uh, the song we're going to play Airwaves. Yeah, well, I guess it's a nice it's a nice way to like end that conversation because it kind of gets back to, you know, what we began this conversation talking about, which was, you know, growing up at a time when I think just casual FM radio was really, really good, at least at least for a person of my of my tastes, you know, because it was a lot of rock and roll music. It was a lot of really big sounding rock and roll music. Um, And so this album is us getting back to that. I mean, I think if any. Like it's also just a result of us playing so many gigs in support of that last album. You know, uh, when that last album came out in 2016, we played 180 gigs that year, which is an absolute ludicrous amount of uh, performances uh, got to have. But it really, it really taught me, um, you know, that a big rock and roll anthem, um, you know, works well with a crowd that's you know, like never like heard you before, and it also just always like it feels good to play, you know? Um, and so like, I was just kind of drawn to writing more tunes like that kind of, you know, kind of getting back to where I began, uh, not as a musician, but just like as a music fan. Um, and the tune itself airwaves is kind of, it's, it does like uh, two things. One, it kind of pays tribute, um, you know, to the radio and to growing up, um, you know, listening to that. And then it's also a rallying cry to bands, you know, like myself, and our contemporaries, it's like a reminder that people are listening and that, um, you know, when I grew up, I mean, like I learned about, um, you know, what love was or what like heartbreak was or what loss was like just from listening to these tunes, you know, like I hadn't had any loss in my life at that age, luckily, but I kind of got an idea of what it would feel like or what, you know, just, just by listening. And, um, you know, I think it's good for bands to remember that, that people are listening, that people are kind of letting their worldview take shape. And we need to make a thing that's worthy of that, Um, you know, because like, otherwise, why are we doing this? Yeah, well, uh, Andrew Leahy, you're getting us back to some, uh, some good rock and roll roots. And uh, for those that want to learn more and listen to your music, uh, they can go to andrewleahymusic.com. And that's Leahy, L-E-8, uh, excuse me, L-E-A-H-E-Y, so andrewleahymusic.com. And, of course, on all the platforms where you're available, and I'm sure they can follow you on Facebook and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, And then we're going to also, uh, for those listening, uh, we, uh, I put up a blog post about each episode, and we'll link to all of your, um, you know, all of your music, your website, your social media, and, uh, and we'll continue to follow you and, uh, and all you're doing and hope, uh, hope to see you back, uh, in Florida at some point. And, uh, I know you're touring all around the country and, and hopefully back on the rock boat too. Man, we would, we would love to be back on the rock, but we're actually doing, uh, kind of like a related event in your area in May called rock by the sea. So if you were planning on going to that, it will be there. And if you weren't planning on going to that, maybe you should go to that. 
Well, I'm thinking about it, and you don't know this, but I used to be on the board of Rock by the Sea. So, oh. uh, I used to live in Tallahassee and was on the board uh, for about six years, and then I moved to Orlando a few years ago. But, uh, but I need to, I need to come back, and maybe that's uh, maybe that's a good uh, uh, reason to go. So, for those of you in Florida, especially the Panhandle there, or Southern Georgia, and all those places, uh, Rock by the Sea. I think it's May eighth through the twelfth, or somewhere around that time period. Um, I think that's exactly when it is. Yeah, so rockbythesea.org is where you can find There's a, I saw the lineup. It's an incredible lineup this year. A lot of rock boat family sort of artists uh, play that as well. And uh, so check that out. But Andrew Leahy, I just want to thank you for uh, being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Hey, man, thank you for having me. This has been, this has been a nice way to spend a Tuesday afternoon, for sure. Great, great. Well, I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. To listen, the last generation raised on FM, lost track of time, lost the sound. We traded all our events for the now.